to have this opportunity. I know that there's a lot going on in the country, and I'm going to go ahead and lay this out. I'm not going to directly speak on those things this morning, but the message that I have absolutely applies to that. Because we're going to talk today about living in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. As the people of God, we need to live in the power of the Holy Spirit, regardless who's in government. Jesus is king. And I don't say that flippantly, but Jesus is king and the power of the Holy Spirit is still available for his people. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So it is good to be here. I'm excited about this message. Anytime I get the opportunity to preach on a Sunday morning, teach on a Wednesday night, whatever it is, I am humbled and thankful. I do not take this lightly. I want to be the man that God says, I'll look to this person, the one that trembles at my word. That's what I want to be. So when I stand here before you with the scriptures open, I promise you there's trembling inside. It's not because of you, but it's because first and foremost, God is holy. He's given me this opportunity to preach his word, and I do not take that lightly. So I'm excited, but at the same time, I realize this is a high and holy calling to preach the word of God. And so I'm excited about it. I'm going to do things a little different. I'm going to read some scripture to you. Uh, We'll stand in honor of God's word for the reading of scripture. Normally, right after that, I would give you the sermon title, but... I'm excited about my title today, and I've got to do a little bit of intro to it. So if you'll stand to your feet this morning, I'm going to read a few passages of Scripture, pray, tell you how I got to where I got on my sermon title. So we're in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. Just a little bit of context, I don't want to keep you standing too long. The day of Pentecost. Visitors say, I came to a Pentecostal church, and they're preaching Acts chapter 2. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. But we preach the whole counsel of God here. But I'm in Acts chapter 2 today. This is the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the 120. They begin to speak in other tongues. It draws a crowd. And as will happen many times when revival breaks out, people will form their own opinions of what's taking place. And that's what we see in this. So beginning in verse 12. So they, that's speaking of the crowd, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. These people must be drunk, is what they're saying, essentially. But Peter, standing up, Peter catches wind of this. Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. These are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Translate that. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. Peter says it's 9 in the morning. Nobody's drunk. It's way too early for that. Father, we love you. God, I'm humbled. I've said that, but I just pray, and I want to add my agreement that preaching would come easy. God, if it's my words that the people hear, they will profit nothing. But if you will move and speak through me by the power of your spirit, you'll prepare our hearts and minds, God. Our people, your people will be strengthened. Your name will be exalted. Jesus will be at the center of all that we do this morning if we will humble ourselves. And so I do that this morning, and I just ask your blessing upon this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so some intro to how I got to the title before I give you the title. First thing, and this is probably coming from our Wednesday night study. Wednesday nights we're picking up in 1 Corinthians. We just started last Wednesday, and we're going to teach through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. So please, if you've got Wednesday nights free, and it'll also be online, but join us on Wednesday nights. We're going to go through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. But one of the things that you see in 1 Corinthians, you find it other places in Scripture, is the wisdom of man compared to the wisdom of God. You see those two things 
uh, continuously through Scripture. Here's the wisdom of man, but here's the wisdom of God. And we see the Apostle Paul many times. He will lay out for you or for his audience, here's the wisdom of man. This is what the world says, what the world believes. And then he'll bring the truth of God and put that above it and say, but here's what God says. And so he'll use the wisdom of man kind of in a way to show you the folly of it and then introduce the truth of God. 1 Corinthians 15, the church in Corinth is uh, begin to disbelieve in the resurrection. Whether that's from a false teacher creeping into the church or whether it's because of the religious past that they came out of where they didn't believe in a resurrection. Well, the Apostle Paul picks up on that and he tells them, listen, if there is no resurrection, then the worldly wisdom that you might as well eat, drink, be merry because tomorrow you die is true. If there's no resurrection of Jesus, if there is not a holy God who will judge us for the things that we have done in this body, then we might as well give ourselves over to the lust of the flesh because if there's no resurrection, there's nothing after this life. You might as well eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow it's over. But then he brings in the truth of God and says, but Christ has been resurrected. And because he's been resurrected, that means that we too will be resurrected. Some for uh, eternal life with God, others for eternal damnation. There is serious consequences. So here's the truth of man. There is no resurrection. Let me bring in the truth of God. Yes, there is. And because of that, we live this way. So we see him using the wisdom of man to then bring in the truth of God. Acts chapter 17, he's in Athens. And Athens is an ancient city that had many different philosophical schools of thought. You have Plato, Aristotle, the Epicureans, the Stoics, all of these different belief systems. And here comes the Apostle Paul, steps into this great city. And he said, the Bible tells us he's provoked in spirit. He sees all the, the worship going on, all the false worship going on. He hears all the debaters. You had men in these days, and, and you still find this today, but they would go to the Areopagus, this center of the city, and they would do nothing all day but debate. They just like to hear themselves talk. Who's got the new teaching? What's the new word? And so they would spend all their time in this. Well, here comes the Apostle Paul, and he's a Jew. Now, he's come to faith in Jesus. He sees that Jesus is the Messiah, but he knows the Scriptures. There's only one God, one true God, and he has been revealed to us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So he's provoked in spirit, and he's bold, and he steps up in the city of Athens, and he begins to preach about the resurrection about the truth of Jesus. And he sees a, an altar because in these days they would worship the sun god, the goddess of love, the god of the sea, all these things. They live in a polytheistic culture. And they even put an altar over there for the unknown god. We know there's another one out there, we just don't know who it is, but we're going to cover all of our bases and we're also going to sacrifice to this god as well. Well, the apostle Paul says, let me tell you about that unknown god. He's the one true god. All these others are false. And so we see him again. Here's the wisdom of man bringing in the truth of God above that. And as a matter of fact, he says that it's in this one God, this one true God, that we live and move and have our being. God is the creator. God is the sustainer of all things. Then he pulls in a line from one of their poets. He says, even some of your poets were hinting at this. Though they didn't know God, they said that we are all his offspring. So the reaching for the truth of God. So he uses even poets during that time to then bring the truth of God in on that. So I've got the Apostle Paul in my corner for what I'm about to do. I'm excited about that. But I've also got Lee Brown in my corner. On November 15th, he preached a sermon here entitled Choose Life. If you have not listened to it, go back and listen to it. 
And what he was teaching in that was the sinfulness and the folly of abortion and the way that the world says that, well, it's, it's not a, a baby in the womb. It's only a baby when it's out of the womb. But Scripture does not teach that. God uses the same word to describe the baby in the womb as he does out of the womb. And so we see that. But what Pastor Brown did in that when he was teaching about Zacharias and Elizabeth is he quoted from a modern-day poet, Conway Twitty. And many of you remember that. And he stood up here. And I had to write the lyrics down because I knew I'd fumble through them. When your auburn hair is faded and silver takes its place, you'll be just as lovely and I'll still be around. JoJo can finish it. (laughs) And if I can, you know I'd sure love to. And he ended right there, so I'll end it right there too. But he used a modern-day poet to teach this story and bring a little bit of life and laughter to the congregation, which is a good thing. So I've got the Apostle Paul and Lee Brown in my corner. If I got those two guys, Jojo, I feel like I could do anything, right? Conway Twitty. So what am I about to do? I'm going to quote for you from a couple of poets, modern-day poets. Alan Jackson, Jimmy Buffett. Okay? A song that they sang, that they composed, that I think, and I'm not attacking Alan Jackson and Jimmy Buffett, right? I'm just using them. I'm just using them. They wrote a song, and I think it sets forward the wisdom of man and the way that the world really views things many times. And here's the lyrics. Pour me something tall and strong. Make it a hurricane before I go insane. It's only half past 12, but I don't care. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. What are they saying in that song? What essentially is that song teaching? And listen, I had to pray to God. God, I don't want to preach flippantly, but I'm using this thing because I see this in Scripture. So I'm telling you, I wrestled this thing out with God. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. What are they saying? Ultimately, what they're saying is that our joy and our peace, relaxation, removal of stress is found in a substance, primarily alcohol. It doesn't matter what time it is. If I've got stress, if I need to to de-stress, to find relaxation, all these things, to get rid of the cares of the world, I'll just go to the bar. I'll have another drink. I'll take this pill. Maybe it's in sex. Maybe it's in money. Maybe it's in whatever the world has to offer. That's essentially what the message of that song is. And they say it doesn't matter if it's noon. It doesn't matter if it's two. Because somewhere in the world it's five o'clock, so you might as well celebrate. Well, here's what I want to say. As Christians, we don't live as though it's 5 o'clock somewhere. No, instead, because of what took place in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, we should live, sermon title, it's 9 o'clock somewhere. It is 9 o'clock somewhere. What happened on Pentecost morning at 9 o'clock with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit ushered in a fulfillment of Scripture And we stand in an age and in an era when the Spirit of Almighty God is available, not just for a select few, but for every single child of God. So we live not like it's 5 o'clock. I'm not going to find my hope and my joy and my peace in sex and money and drugs, in the government, any of those things. True and lasting peace and joy is only found in Jesus Christ, who's the one who pours out the Holy Spirit upon his people. So that's where we're headed. We can live in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It is available for every single believer every second of every day. I'm thankful for that. Praise God for that. So here's the direction we're headed. I heard a preacher say one time, the reason people can remember my sermons is because I tell them where we're going, then I tell them about it, and then I remind them about what I told them. So I want to tell you before where we're headed, the direction we're going. I want to know how did we get to 9 o'clock on Pentecost morning? 
How did we get to this point in history? Before we just jump right into Acts chapter 2, what are some of the things that led up to this? How did we get to 9 o'clock on Pentecost morning? What's really taking place in Acts chapter 2? There's a lot of things. You can focus in on a lot of things, but if I could give one underlying thing, what's taking place in Acts chapter 2? And then finally, what does it teach us as believers today? It's got to be applicable for us today. It's not enough just to say, here's how we got here, here's what was happening. How does this apply to your life? So that's the direction we're heading. So how do we get here? The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The first person that we see mentioned in Scripture with the Spirit of God coming upon them is a man named Bezalel. Bezalel was a craftsman for the tabernacle. God gave Moses the picture and the plans for the tabernacle, and it was very intricate, very detailed. And he put his spirit upon this man named Bezalel so that he would be able to craft these intricate things. So we see the spirit of God coming upon Bezalel. I think we could argue that the spirit of God probably came upon Moses before Bezalel. But in Numbers chapter 11, so we're going to begin in Numbers chapter 11 as we look at this. And we're not going to spend all day. I'm not going to be able to do a whole introduction to the Old Testament. But I want to teach you some of these things and what we see in Scripture. So Numbers chapter 11 Verses 14 through 17 is what we're going to look at first. Here is Moses leading the people of Israel. And they have grumbled and they have complained. And he's leading possibly two million people at this time. And one man leading that many people. And they're used to what they had in Egypt. Now they're in the wilderness. So they're grumbling. They're complaining. And Moses praying to God in verse 14 says, I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. And listen to verse 15. You ever pray to God like this? If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. I mean, this is open and honest dialogue. God, if you're going to treat me like this, just... And he even goes further. If I found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. God, if you really love me, you'd strike me dead. Now, I'm not praying that. Moses is praying that. But wow, you're to the point where you're saying, God, if you truly love me, you'd just kill me right now. I can't take this anymore. But then in verse 16, we get the answer that God gives Moses. He says, I'm not going to kill you. So the Lord said to Moses, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. And here's the answer right here, verse 17. Then I will come down. I will talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you. Catch that. I'll take of the spirit that is upon you. And I will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it alone. What's God's answer? The spirit that rests upon you, Moses, that has given you the ability to lead, I'm going to take of that same spirit, I'm going to put it upon 70 others, and they're going to be empowered now to help you lead. So then we jump to verse 24, and we see this unfold. So Moses went out, told the people the words of the Lord. He gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Verse 25. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. And he took of the spirit that was upon him and he placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened. When the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, although they never did so again. Catch that. Verse 26. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, the name of the other was Medad. The Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. Let's see what's going on. 
God says, here's my answer. It's not to kill you, Moses. It's to take the spirit that's upon you and place it upon 70 elders, 70 others to help you lead. Two of them don't come. I can't give you the answer why they didn't come, but God said, I'm going to put my spirit upon 70. Therefore, 70 were going to receive. God's word is true. And he puts the spirit upon all 70, and they begin to prophesy. Now, what is prophecy? Prophecy is Holy Spirit-inspired speech. That's going to be my definition. I don't know what they said, but it says they prophesied. Moses, who is the prophet alone at this time, is able to recognize that the Spirit of God has been put upon these people because of how they begin to speak. It's an evidence or an indication that the Spirit of God has come upon them because now the words that they're speaking are not simply their words, but they are Holy Spirit-empowered and inspired words. And that's important when we get to Acts chapter 2. God chose this sign. We didn't choose it. God chose it. And it didn't just show up in Acts chapter 2, all the way back in Numbers 11. How is Moses going to know that God has answered his prayer? God sees fit to show that these men would begin to prophesy. Some of them begin to prophesy in the camp. And I like what happens next. Verse 28. Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant... One of his choice men answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. And then Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? Now I'm going to stop right there. Moses is the leader. Now you've got 70 guys prophesying. Now it appears that the Spirit's upon all them. Why should we listen to Moses? Joshua is zealous for Moses. He says, you've got to make them stop. The people are going to revolt. The people are going to begin to listen to this person and that person and this person. You would think Moses would say, yeah, it's supposed to be me that pride would maybe well up in his heart and he would say, I'm supposed to be the one with the Spirit. But no, that's not what we find in Moses. I love Moses' answer, and it gives us some indication as we move forward. Verse 29, Moses said this to Joshua. Are you zealous for my sake? Listen to this, please. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets. That all the Lord's people were prophets. And that he would put his Spirit upon them. Moses goes from, God, would you strike me dead? And he sees an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and everything changes in the heart of Moses. When the Spirit of God shows up and moves, you can go from praying, God, I can't handle this burden. God, strike me dead in this moment. When the Spirit of Almighty God shows up, then you begin to praise God. Then you begin to worship God. Now you see that God is in your midst. And Moses is excited and he says, it's, it's not enough. I thank God for the 70, but my heart's cry and prayer is that God would put his spirit not just upon 70, but every single one of God's children across the board. That's a prophetic prayer in the heart of Moses. God, pour out your spirit on all of your children. What we see, though, is mainly prophets, priests, and kings. When you read your Old Testament, you're going to see the Spirit of God coming upon prophets, priests, and kings. We think about Saul. We think about David. But you'll see it on others as well. But it's mainly for people to perform great and mighty acts. Think of Samson or Gideon. And so Moses has this prayer, but we don't find it being fulfilled in the Old Testament. But we see it growing. What was a prophetic prayer then in the book of Joel? In the book of Joel chapter 2. Joel is a prophet. That means he speaks for God. God's speaking through Joel. He takes this prophetic prayer of Moses, oh, that God would put his spirit on all of his people. And now it moves from a prophetic prayer to a prophecy. In verse 28, it says, and it shall come to pass, the prophet Joel speaking, God's speaking through him, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. 
Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see dreams. Your young men shall see visions. He goes on to say in verse 29, And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God is saying that day is coming. That prophetic prayer of Moses has now shifted and become a prophecy in the mouth of the prophet Joel. That there will be a day when the Spirit of God is poured out on all flesh. Then we move to the, the ministry of Jesus. We see this thing beginning to build and build and build. And I'm laying this foundation to get us to Acts chapter 2. But we see in the ministry of Jesus that there's a connection between the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and Jesus being glorified. John chapter 7 Verses 37 through 38, 39, excuse me. It's on the screen. Let's read these. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me. Caleb, you don't know why Jesus has got to be the center? Because he's the one who pours out the Spirit. We've got to come to Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 38, He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In verse 39, this is the connection we're making. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Why? Why was the Holy Spirit not yet poured out in fullness? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. We see this connection between Jesus being glorified and the Spirit of God being poured out. So then we move to Acts chapter 1. You guys are saying, man, I didn't know I was coming for such Bible study. Yes. I'm a Bible study teacher at heart, and I just try to preach every once in a while. Acts chapter 1. Jesus is assembled with the disciples. This is post-cross. This is post-resurrection. Jesus has poured out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. He's been buried. He's been raised from the dead, glorified. Now he sits with the disciples. He spent 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. And what does he say? He says, being assembled together with them, he commanded them, do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for what? For the promise of the Father. For you have heard, John told you in verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with what? The Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus connecting this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's coming. You've been waiting for it. People have been waiting for year after year after year. God said he would do it. Jesus says now it's going to take place. But I want to catch something that he said. What did he say it was? The promise of who? The promise of the Father. Jesus says, this is the promise of the Father. That gives you and me some insight. That that prayer that Moses prayed, that wasn't simply a prayer of Moses. That was the heart of God being expressed through Moses. That it wasn't just simply Moses' desire that every single person of God would have his spirit upon him. That was God's heart for every single one of his children. And then that prophecy of Joel, you're not a true prophet unless it is God's spirit speaking through you. It wasn't Joel saying, I, Joel, will pour out the Spirit. This is God speaking through Joel. Joel telling us that he desires to pour out his Spirit upon all flesh, upon every single one of his children. And that's where we get to Acts chapter 2. So now we've seen how we got here. How did we get to 9 o'clock in the morning? What's really happening? What is really happening in Acts chapter 2? So many people go to it to build so many different theologies and things, but what is actually happening in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God is poured out? This is what I want to say. If I'm looking at the prayer of Moses that all God's people would be prophets, and I see the prophecy of Joel, and he says that all of God's children are going to prophesy, what I see at 9 o'clock in the morning on Acts chapter 2 is the prophetic empowerment of God's people 
for the exaltation of Jesus and for the salvation of sinners everywhere. That is primarily what's taking place. To be God's people, we need His Spirit. In a dark time, in a dark time, we need the light of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why, and I'm jumping to the end of my sermon, but I want to go ahead and make this connection. I don't care how dark and how wicked it gets. I pray that it doesn't. I am grieved in my spirit with the things that are going on. But if it gets darker, God's light will shine brighter. If the noise from the enemy gets louder, I'll sing praises higher so that God's name will be glorified, that people are living in confusion and chaos. And guess what? We all lived in that too. Scripture tells us that we were all sons of disobedience at one time. So my heart is for lost people, Joe. They're out there. And there's so many things bidding for their attention. So much noise coming in. Where's the church? What are we going to do? Are we going to trust in the wisdom of man? I read another way to grow a church. Here's what this guy says. Here's what, no, no, no. I'm for those things to some extent. But if you're going to be a part of Hebrew First Assembly, I feel like I can say this. we got about five plays that we run, and we want to be good at those. And we try to pull all five of those out of Scripture. Prayer, reading the Word of God, fasting, uh, all these things that God tells us to do. Those are the things that we want to do. We want to praise God. We want to praise God and worship and gather together. We want to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We want to look at Scripture and say, this is what God has called us to do. But if we try to do any of that in our own strength, it's going to fail. So we seek the power of the Holy Spirit because we know at 9 o'clock, everything changed. That you don't have to be the guy with the microphone standing on the platform to have the Spirit of God upon you. If you're a child of God, it's available for you. The question many times becomes, do you desire it? Do you truly seek this, this filling of God's Spirit? So it's the prophetic empowerment of God's people. But what's the primary focus? Caleb, you couldn't have done a better job this morning. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. As Pentecostals, you say, all you want to talk about is the Holy Spirit. You want to know why I talk so much about the Holy Spirit? Because it's only by the Holy Spirit that I can talk about Jesus. He's the one that makes me look at Jesus and see Jesus the way that I'm able to. I can't do that in and of myself. But by his presence and power, I can exalt Jesus. And I can stand on this stage as a completely introverted person, but I can preach with boldness because God has given me this ability. And you can do that too. I didn't stop being an introvert. I'm still introverted. But when it comes to the things of Jesus, for some reason I get a little bit loud. I want to sing a little bit louder. I want to talk a little bit higher. I want to talk about his goodness and his glory and his grace because that's what the Spirit of God has called me to do, to exalt Jesus. That's what he's called every single person under the sound of my voice to do if you're a child of God. Primarily the exaltation of Jesus. I'm trying to preach, Joe. I'm trying to preach. Yet there is hope. Yet there is hope. I was thinking about that. Sidetrack. If your goal this year was to begin reading your Bible and doing better, JoJo read the whole book of Habakkuk for you. You've already got that checked off the list. Yet there is hope. So let's jump in. Acts chapter 2. That's what's going on. We see the prophetic empowerment of God's people for the exaltation of Jesus and the salvation of lost sinners. So Jesus says, we're not drunk. It's 9 in the morning. It's something better than being drunk. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Far better but he makes that connection. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. They'll put those on the screen for you. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he makes that connection. Now Peter has got the unction of the Holy Spirit. He sees this as fulfillment of Scripture. Verse 17, And it shall come to pass in those, the last days 
says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dreams. Men servants, maid servants, I will pour out my spirit. I didn't give you guys this verse, but that's okay. But the last thing that he says in that, verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we can bring in the Apostle Paul. How can they call on the name of the Lord if they haven't heard? There's got to be a prophetic voice shouting to a sinful world about the grace of God. The only thing that can save you, the only one that can save you is Jesus. We have got to be just like this, just like the Apostle Paul or Peter on this day. He goes on to preach to him. I'm not going to read all this, but I'm going to give you the basis of it. He stands up and preaches the first sermon of the church. And you've got Peter who just denied Jesus not many days before, who now stands up in front of a crowd of thousands and thousands of people that have come to Jerusalem for this Feast of Pentecost. You talk about a boldness that he didn't have. Something's changed. What's the only thing that's happened? The Spirit of God has come upon him. And he begins to preach about Jesus, and he says, listen to this crowd that was probably part of his crucifixion. You want to talk about needing some boldness? He just saw what they did to his leader. And he begins to preach and he says, God attested this man Jesus to you by signs and wonders and miracles, yet you crucified him. But God raised him from the dead because death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. And he was a prophet and he spoke, but David spoke about him concerning him. Even David, the one that all the Jewish people looked to, even David spoke about this one, the Holy One, whose body would not see corruption, that he wouldn't remain in the grave. David's still in the grave, guys, but Jesus is out. This is the one. This is the Christ. And so Peter's preaching with boldness and with fire. Then you get to verse 32 and 33, and they're going to put these on the screen. Anytime I read these verses right here, in my mind I think of pure Pentecostalism. Verses 32 and 33. If you ask me what does it mean to be a Pentecostal, that's a big word that carries a lot of different things. But if you're talking to me, I'm going to take you through a lot of what I've already took you through, but if you want to know the finest and purest point for me, what it means to be Pentecostal, what it means to be Spirit-filled, I'm going to take you to these two verses, where on the day of Pentecost, Peter, standing up and preaching, says this, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Verse 33, here it is, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, Having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. What is taking place on the day of Pentecost? I'll tell you exactly what's taking place. The Spirit of God is poured out. They're beginning to see things. They're beginning to hear things. It will get a little bit rowdy when the Spirit of God shows up. And the religious group will say, that's not the way we're supposed to worship God. And the intellectual group will say, well, they must be drunk. But this group of ragtag misfits of men and women, young and old, is the ones that God chose to pour his spirit out on. Why? Because they were humble. Because they were seeking to exalt Jesus. That's primary. Pure Pentecostalism is this. God's people, empowered by his Holy Spirit, for the exaltation of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. You write that down. I'll say it again. God's people being empowered by his spirit to exalt the name of Jesus. To lift up the name of Jesus to the glory of God the Father. And then that leads to the salvation of lost men and women. Calling sinners to repentance everywhere. And that's where Peter ends. Acts chapter 2 verse 38. He gets to the end of it. He begins to preach about Jesus being exalted to the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit works upon the whole group. And it says they're cut to the heart. That's a supernatural work. It's not Peter's words. 
It's the words of God. Being prophetically empowered, he's speaking and preaching, and the heart of the people is cut, and they see that this Jesus, this man that walked among us, truly was the Lord and the Christ, and we crucified him. And Peter says this in verse 38, because they say, what do we do? When you begin to preach about Jesus with the unction of the Holy Spirit, men and women will fall under conviction because they'll see, this is truly what I need, Christ Jesus. Peter said to them, repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just for the 120. For anybody that will repent, trust in Christ, God's desire is to put his spirit not only in you, but upon you. And then he goes on in verse 39. For the promise is to you, to your children, to as many as are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This echoes throughout church history. It didn't just happen. Some theologians will tell you what happened in Acts chapter 2 just got the ball rolling. And now we live in the backside of it. We can't really experience these things. I don't find that in Scripture. Now, I don't see tongues of fire falling on people's head, but guess what? In Acts chapter 8, we don't find that as well. In Acts chapter 10, we don't find that as well. Acts chapter 19. But what we do find is when the Spirit of God came upon the people, they began to speak in other tongues. They began to prophesy. And those things still take place to this day when God's Spirit shows up for anybody that is seeking, anybody that repents, trusts in Jesus, and desires the fullness of God's Spirit. That promise is for you and for your children. I get excited as a father when you talk about the Holy Spirit in my children. But they're going to look to you, parents and grandparents. How are you living? How are you speaking? Do you desire the things of God? That's going to have an effect on your children. And then this is where I want to tie everything in with what's going on today. Verse 40. Listen to what he says. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, what? Be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. Sometimes, Jojo, we have the, uh, a narrow sight, and we think we're the only generation that has faced wickedness and sinfulness. Absolutely not. The gospel always shows up in the darkest places. Be saved from this perverse generation is what the Apostle Peter, that's the exact same message we carry today. We speak to a lost and fallen world and we say, be saved from this wicked and perverse generation. Come to Jesus, find forgiveness, find healing, find grace, find hope, find peace. Why? Because it's nine o'clock somewhere. The Spirit of God is available for you and your children, as many as God will call. As many as God will call. That is exactly what our country needs right now. Watch Fox News, watch Newsmax. I'm not going to say the others. You'll throw me off the stage. <laughs> Spend time in the Word. Seek God with everything that you have. Trust that God will give you the words. You may be quiet. That's okay. God is not going to call you to do something He will not also empower you to do. Catch that. God will not call you to do something He will not empower you to do. Now, here's the catch. He will call you to do things you can't do yourself, but he'll give you the grace. He'll give you the strength. He'll give you the ability to do those things only by the power of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer talked about the church. This is what he said in his day. This was 50, 60 years ago, a Christian writer, and he talked about the church and he compared it to a pile of ashes. And he said, nobody's afraid of that. People walk over it. People step through it. But he said, when the church is truly the church, it is like a fire 
burning hot and bright. That'll do two things, he said. That'll draw men and women to it because they're coming for light, they're coming for heat, and it'll do something else, Joe. It will terrify people. The church isn't scary anymore. The church looks just like the world most of the time. The only thing that changes that is the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. That is what makes us a little bit different. And as Pentecostals, we seek this. We seek for the name of Jesus to be glorified. We seek to live under the power of the Holy Spirit. That we can raise our voices. Why do we clap in this place? Why do we raise our voices? Are we just trying to build ourselves up? I see it in Scripture. And God tells me that if I will open my mouth and praise Him, He will fill it with good things. You want to know the message I almost preached? I almost preached your heart is damned because your mouth is shut. Watch out, preacher. D-A-M-M-E-D. Let me make sure I say that. When you keep your mouth shut, the presence and power of God just doesn't seem to flow. This was something difficult for me, but I'm telling you that if you will open your mouth and praise God, audibly praise God, when the Spirit of God begins to move upon you, if you will pray out loud, you got to do this by yourself, that's fine. You pray out loud. You speak the good things of God. The Spirit of God, that river of living water that Jesus said will come out of you, it will come out of you. But if you keep your mouth shut, God is not going to come down and pull it open. An angel's not coming down to flap that open. Okay? You have to open your mouth. You have to praise God. And when you begin to do those things, God has made a promise he will fill you with his spirit. It's his desire. It's the Father's desire for his children. And that's what this world needs. The Apostle Paul, let's dip into the Apostle Paul real quick. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. I didn't give you all this scripture. That's okay. This is just off the top of my head. Ephesians chapter 5. Apostle Paul is talking about living in a, a wicked time. He says this in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, talking to the Christians, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. There's that wisdom of man, wisdom of God. We see that being compared again. What does he go on to tell us in verse 16? Redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Instead of just scrapping everything, instead of saying, I'm going to get in a hole and hunker down until Jesus returns, he says, redeem the time. Yeah, the days are evil. The days are evil, but redeem the time. Verse 17, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Rev, the last message you preached, that was the last verse that you used. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You've got to understand what God's will is. And sometimes in Scripture, it tells you plainly, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. That you'd be set apart, that you'd be holy, that you would be consecrated to God. But there's a connection here that many times is not made because we want to jump to verse 18. But verse 17 connects to 18. What's the will of God? Verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. There's the way of the world. Go get drunk on wine. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you die. But what does the Apostle Paul say? He says, no, that's not going to be the thing. Anything that that offers you, any joy, any peace, any stress, relaxation, anything that that offers you, the Spirit of God will give you in a hundredfold. He'll give you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He'll give you the gifts of the Holy Spirit that when you don't know what to say, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge will rise up within you. He may cause you to speak in tongues. Uh-oh. 
Absolutely. Praise God if I can get a language to pray and praise God in. But he said that you would prophesy. Even more that you'd prophesy. That you'd be able to speak words of edification, exhortation, and comfort to the body of Christ. That you'd be able to come to this house. You wouldn't have to flip on TBN and wait for the next prophet. You'd show up at the house of God where you go to church. You'd trust that the Spirit of God would work upon you or somebody around you. And you'd give a prophetic word. We wouldn't be so dependent on others. We'd show up and be completely dependent upon the Spirit of God. That's God's will for you and me to live full of the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? He tells us. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Man, that's powerful. You want to know why I get passionate about telling you to sing and open your mouth? Because that's one of the places and one of the times when God said, I'll fill you when you do that. It might happen at your house when you're by yourself. It might happen when you're in your truck by yourself. I don't know, in your prayer closet, absolutely. But God has made a promise that when his people get together and sing, he will fill them. And that gets me excited. Jesus is at the center. God is good. What time is it, church? Well, I don't know what time it is. 11.15, but guess what? It's 9 o'clock somewhere. That's how I'm going to use. That's how I'm going to live. Yet there's hope, Jojo, because it's 9 o'clock somewhere. I don't know what you're preaching next week, but we're lining you up for this. There is hope because the Spirit of God is available for all people. And when the Spirit of God is poured out, it's not simply so that you can get excited, but it's that the name of Jesus is lifted up. That's the main point of everything, that the Spirit of God is poured out so that you are prophetically empowered to speak boldly about Jesus and call lost men and women to salvation, to build up the body of Christ. Again, we shouldn't have to go outside these walls to hear a prophetic word. This is where it takes place. God has sanctified this place. And so if you don't have a church family, we're not perfect, but we are this. We seek to be a Holy Spirit-empowered church for the glory of Jesus, to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. You wrestle with how do you end it. I mean, I just told you that we need to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, but I'm going to end today with prayer. Because what I've taught you this morning is that if you're a child of God, this power and presence is available for you. But in my own life, I had to come to the realization that I had to seek this. It was available, but I had to desire it. I had to seek it. And I know that the scripture tells us that we have to tarry, but I'm not telling you you have to tarry 10 days. Maybe you do. But maybe it happens right now. Maybe it happens later. I don't know. But I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to add your agreement that from this point forward, we'll live as though it's 9 o'clock somewhere. Regardless of what we see on the news, regardless of what we see in our community, what you find the apostles doing after this experience, they go to the temple, and there's a lame man sitting there, and he's asking for money, because that's all he knows. I need money to survive in this world. And what people are going to ask us is, will you give me some money? Will you give me this? Will you give me this? What's the church's message? Silver and gold I don't have, but I have something better. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. 
That's the message that we have. But if you're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, chances are when that moment comes, you're not going to see it or you're going to shrink back in fear. But that's not God's intention for you. Again, God will not call you to do something. He won't empower you to fulfill. So, Father, we love you. God, I'm humbled to have this opportunity. I thank you for the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that the people under the sound of my voice, those online, those that will watch, will begin to move and humble themselves and seek to live as the prophetic, empowered people of God, to declare the glory of Jesus Christ, to speak the good things of God, to shout into the darkness. The darkness is overwhelming, but what it says about Jesus is that when he came, he was the true light, the light that gave light to all men, and that the darkness could not comprehend it. The darkness could not overcome Jesus and his power and his grace. And you've sent your spirit. We sang it this morning. You lit the flame. God, you lit the flame of the church. And you continue to pour out your spirit to this day. And I thank you for that, God. On young and old, on men and women, rich and poor, it makes no difference, God. The promise is for all of us and our children, as many as you would call. So, Lord, fill us. Fill us with your spirit that will open our mouths in these days and weeks ahead, that will live our lives sacrificially for the glory of God and the good of others, that regardless of what takes place around us, God, will be focused in on you. Let depression be taken away. If there's somebody under the sound of my voice that has lived many years thinking that, you know what, I've got to find my peace in a bottle. I've got to find my peace in a pill. I've got to find my peace in a person. God, I pray that today you would convict their heart None of that is fulfilled in those things. It's only fulfilled in Jesus and by the power of your spirit. Father, we thank you. God, I'm humble. Bless your people. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.